Hey, well, good morning again. So thankful that you're here joining us in the sanctuary out in the courtyard. Whoop, whoop. I see you out there. And, uh, and online as well. We're so thankful that you're with us today. And we're picking up a conversation that we began last week about dumb things that smart Christians do, right? Because listen, we've all been there. Uh, not saying the word dumb, but even the smartest of people and the smartest of Christians sometimes will slip into, well, making dumb decisions, bad decisions, and that's what we're talking about today. We started this conversation about bad decisions last week. So this week, we're just calling it Bad Decisions 2. And it kind of sounds like a movie sequel, right? Like Bad News Bears 2, right? Bad Decisions 2, and hopefully this is better than most movie sequels, okay? Are you with me? So listen, last week we began talking about how important our decisions are. Because we make literally like not just hundreds, but like thousands of decisions every day, some big decisions, a lot of you know, small decisions, but they add up and they really shape the, the, the quality and the direction of our lives. They're incredibly important because it's our decisions that drive what we do. Like before you like put something into action, before you actually go and do something, you've processed it internally in your decision maker, right? Your, your mind in combination with your heart and your spirit and wrestling through this decision. Sometimes we do it really quickly and as we're gonna talk about today, sometimes we don't even really think about it at all. We just like go and do something and Sometimes that will lead to bad decisions, bad decisions. But we believe that God is giving us insight through his word and even the partnership of his Holy Spirit in our lives to help us get smarter and making good decisions, leaving some of those bad decisions behind and moving to a place where actually our lives are shaped by good decisions that we are making personally, together as married couples, in our homes, in our places of work, at our schools, that we, we begin making better decisions. So last week, and you can go back and catch this on YouTube or on our church podcast, but we talked about three different questions that we can ask. And we found these, these three questions formed right out of scripture itself from, from Romans. And it was three questions that we, we said, hey, these are three that we can ask when we come to points of decision-making. The first question was, what does my faith say? What, is my, what does my faith say about this? My faith says that Jesus is Lord. And so all the different decisions that I'm processing, I can't do them outside of Jesus' lordship in my life. I actually have to submit my decision process to him. So what does my faith say? Second question that we looked at was what other perspective is needed? What other perspective is needed? Because oftentimes I'm only seeing things one way, but that's kind of an immature way of looking at things. We need to broaden our perspective by, man, what does God say? How, how, you know? So then, then the third question was how will this decision impact others? Very important. And God thinks this is really important because we're not islands unto ourselves. So when we make a decision, 
It just ripples on out. We talked about the fact that we're like captains of a boat. And as we make decisions, we're casting a wake behind us that guess what? Other people have to deal with the wake that we cast. And so how does my decision impact others? So we, we, we talked about that. It was really good. But before we move on from this conversation about decision making and the dumb thing of making bad decisions, I want to look a little bit deeper. I want to kind of double click on that point number two that we talked about last week about gaining perspective. Gaining perspective. God wants you and I to have his perspective, to know his thoughts about matters, to really know what does God think about this decision that I'm processing? What does he want me to see that I am not currently seeing? God wants us to know, in fact, God wants us so desperately to know his perspective that guess what, he came to earth. That Jesus came to show us this is what God thinks. This is what the God wants us to know. And I love the fact that Jesus used parables, right? Jesus, I love the stories that Jesus told because they were like fun and memorable ways for us to begin to say, oh, that's the way God looks at things. This is the way God looks at situations. And so one of the parables, the stories that Jesus told was about a farmer. And he wanted us to know his perspective. So he's like, hey, so the farmer goes out and he's just throwing seed. It's like throwing it indiscriminately. He's throwing it everywhere. He's throwing it onto hard paths. He's throwing it onto different kinds of soil. And Jesus tells his disciples later, he says, hey, this, this story that I'm telling you, the seed represents God's word. I want you to think about that. It's his word. It's God's thoughts. It's what God thinks about all kinds of different matters about life, relationship, finance, our sexuality, all these things. It's that this God just throwing it out to it and he's throwing it everywhere, right? He wasn't discriminating. I'm only gonna put, it, put my word, my thought, my perspective in one little patch of ground. No, I'm, I'm sending it everywhere. But then Jesus goes on and he says, but my word goes out onto different kinds of soil. And he talks about three different kinds of soil that they do not receive God's word. They actually reject it. We're not gonna go deep into that today, but I wanna jump to the very last thing that Jesus said because he, he gave us hope that, that there aren't just soils that reject his word or his perspective. There, there is a kind of soil that is actually receptive to God's perspective. And here's what he says. It's found in Luke 8, 15. And Jesus finishes this little story by saying, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, which I just love that phrase, a noble heart. There's something of like of goodness there. Someone who hopefully like you and me getting beyond our bad decisions, we'll say, wait a second, I need to slow my role here. Rather than just jumping into this decision, I need to like pause 
And I really believe that when he says that noble and good heart, he's talking about that person who really stops and reflects and doesn't just jump without thinking. Listen, the good soul stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word. That's like what we're doing right now, okay? But it doesn't stop there. It's not enough to just hear the word. Who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I want my word, my thoughts, my perspective to go out in a way that you would receive it deeply. So deeply that my perspective is gonna become your perspective. The way I see the world, the way I see life and all these different situations is gonna shape and inform and actually become our own perspective. That we would see things the way God sees things. But, as we see, that doesn't happen in every situation. In fact, only one out of the four soils was that receptive soil. Who wants to be good, receptive soil today? Anybody here? Anybody want to say, God, I want to be that receptive soil? Because here's the promise that comes along with it. You will have a fruitful life. So now, who wants to be receptive to God's perspective because that's where a fruitful life comes from? Who is done with a life of barrenness? Some of y'all, you've been reflecting on your lives. Some of y'all are saying, you know what? I I don't like everything that I see. There are barren patches. There are weedy patches in my life. There are unfruitful areas of my life. How many of you want to move beyond that? How many of you want to exchange bad decisions for good decisions and find this receptive place where we see God's, we see life through God's perspective? So here's the question. What is blocking our ability to see things the way God sees them? What is blocking our ability to just like get God's perspective? Good question, I hope. Something we all would wrestle with. Why am I not seeing things clearly? When I was back in college, I had a really cool pair of sunglasses. They're called Varnays. Have you ever heard of Varnays? They were really popular like a long time ago. They were, they, they were known for having these very distinctive yellow tinted lenses. And they were actually designed in France like for snow skiers. Well, I was not a snow skier, but I thought they were really cool. So I had my pair of yellow tinted Varnay glasses, right? And here's the deal. The reason that they created them specifically for snow skiers because yellow tinted lenses, you know what they block out? Blue light. And so they would help skiers uh, to, to kind of protect their eyes from that harsh blue light that would come in. And so it would make it easier on their, their eyes. Their eyes wouldn't get as tired. They could see more crisply, more, more clearly. Well, now, yellow-tinted glasses have be, kind of become the rage. You know why? Because we're all staring into computer screens and on our cell phones all day long. And, our, and those devices all give off kind of a harsher blue light. And so now a lot of people wear yellow tinted glasses because they block out 
uh, blue light. And here's what it looks like when you're looking through yellow tinted glasses. So check this out. Different colored lenses will block out different colored light. Yellow ones have kind of become famous for blocking out blue light. But if we put on different tints uh, in lenses, it's going to block out different shades and colors. They change what we see. They change our perspective. And once we're used to wearing them, we don't even realize that it's like blocking out a whole uh, spectrum of color that we can no longer see. Does that make sense? If you're wearing these yellow glasses, you know, for some hours, you don't even realize I'm not seeing the totality of life here. I'm not seeing everything because all the blue spectrum has been cut out of now what I can see. So in other words, we're like blocking stuff out and and we don't even realize it. See, when it comes to God's perspective, there are times when we very intentionally just cut him out. Like, because why? Because we know that God is wanting to stick his fingers into part of my life. I don't know if I want God there. I kind of like the way my life is right now. And God, oh, I think he wants to change something. And I really, really, really don't want to change. And so what do we do? We intentionally just say, Boop, God, I'm blocking you today. Ghost, ghosting God. And we do it intentionally. But I think that there's times when we put on these tinted glasses and we don't even realize anymore that we're blocking out God's perspective. So what I want to do today is quickly go through three different colored lenses that we might be wearing that will block us from gaining God's perspective. You ready? First lens is this. The first lens is instinct. It's instinct. Jude was one of the disciples of Jesus. Many believe that he was actually one of the younger brothers of Jesus, which is pretty amazing. And he actually wrote one of the books of the New Testament, but it's really short. You might miss it because Jude is only one chapter long. But in there, He's talking about people who have really missed it in life. I mean, talk about bad decisions. You know, he's talking about people who are totally unfaithful. Their lives are completely taken over by immorality and disobedience. Listen to what Jude says about them in verse 10. He says this, he says, these people, these unfaithful, disobedient, immoral people, listen, it says, These people scoff at all things, like they're just mockers. They just mock everything. These people scoff at things they do not understand, like unthinking animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction, like unthinking animals. They just do whatever their 
instinct tells them to do. So when they come to a decision, they're not like with that good and noble heart, like stopping and pausing and saying, God, what do you want to show me? What do you want to tell me about this area of my life? No, they just like dive in, not thinking. And, and he doesn't say that animals here are not smart, right? Animals are really, really smart, but they are driven by instinct. So instinct will take over their smarts. I, I don't want to be too graphic here, but when an animal's in heat, they don't care who's watching, right? It's like, come on, baby, right now. It's like, because they're just driven by their instinct. They're not stopping and thinking about stuff. They're just, they're driven. They're driven by these things. And whenever we're making decisions, when we're wearing instinct glasses, we end up like unthinking animals, Jude here isn't saying that we are animals. I mean, we're mammals, right? We have the same qualities as other mammals, but we're not animals. He doesn't say we are animals, but we're acting just like them, being led purely by instinct. We do whatever feels right in the moment without pausing, stopping, and asking God for his perspective. And we do this. I mean, have you ever made a decision that was driven by the instinct of lust? Just went for it. Just did something based on lust. Saw an image on the internet and pretty soon you were like, woo, diving deep, right? And not pausing, not stopping, not thinking, just made a really bad decision based on lust. What about anger? Something just, somebody cut you off, something happened, and all of a sudden, rather than pausing and gaining any perspective here, you just dive in. You know, it's called road rage. And it's like it's unthinking, it's just driven by instinct. Or how about by fear? How about by fear? Kelly and I, one time, were processing a pretty major decision. Um, Our kids were young, and we'd made a couple of, of pretty big moves really following what we believed God was telling us to do with our lives and our ministries and, and where we were doing that. But it had, it had, you know, caused a lot of upheaval in our family situation because our kids were kind of being drug along with us as we were following after God. So we came to a point where we sensed kind of once again, oh my gosh, you know, we've been here for several years where we were doing ministry. But we came to this point where we thought, you know, I... I think that God may be stirring us into that next step of what he wants us to do um, in life and in ministry. But guess what? Our instincts are, listen, our instincts were telling us we gotta protect the kids, we gotta protect the kids, we gotta protect the kids. It was just like this, this like, that's our instinct. And you know what? That's, that is natural, isn't it? And, and most of the time, that's really good that, our, that we would have that instinct to protect our children, we dive into the way of the, you know, the car and rescue them. We do all those things, putting our life on the line for our kids. But, but, but that instinct was blocking something from what God wanted to share with us. So we went to a new friend who was a, a Christian leader and, and had kids that were older than ours. And we went and we sat and we talked about this kind of dilemma. We talked about the decision that we were trying to process 
And pretty soon he really recognized that our decision was being driven by fear and the instinct of fear rather than by faith or what God's perspective would be. And he said something to us in that moment that not only have we never forgotten, but we've shared this with a lot of others. He stopped and he said this. He said, your children need a savior and you're not it. Your children, they do need a savior. You ain't their savior. So follow God and trust that their savior is gonna look after them. It transformed in a moment, we caught it, that our instincts had been driving this decision process in a way that ultimately was gonna be really unhelpful, not only for us, but for our kids as well. So we moved. Were all, were, were all three children really excited about that in the moment? No. One out of the three was, and she now leads you in worship. <laughs> but you know what? All three kids came back years later after we'd made that move. Went to a new city. They all graduated high school there. God kept us there a good, good number of years. And you know what? All three of them came back and said later, thank you, thank you, thank you for that move that we made but we wouldn't have done it had we just been listening to our instincts. So, first one, instinct. We are, we've got this lens of instinct, but then we come to this other lens, and it's the lens of experience. I don't know if you've ever heard of these two terms, nature and nurture. Nature is like kind of hardwired into our genetics. That's kind of like our instincts. Like as human beings, we all have certain instincts that may lead us on in a particular direction. However, there's something else that shapes our perspective, not just instincts, but our experiences. And that's the nurture side, like how we've been nurtured, how we were raised, all of our life experiences also give us a different colored lens that we might put on and wear. And so, we need to be aware of how our life experiences have shaped our perspective. Because we can just block out what God would want us to see and it could lead to some really bad decisions. And there's a powerful example in the book of Galatians about a really smart man of God who ended up making a really bad decision because of his life experience. And it's the, the man's name is Peter. You're like, Peter? Yeah, Peter. Peter, like the Peter, who Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Again, Peter, who wrote books of the Bible. I mean, this Peter made a really bad decision based on what, uh, what we see, and we don't need that scripture quite yet. Thank you very much. You can just take that down. Thank you. But there's this example of, of a really smart Christian making a bad decision, and it's based on his life experience. What was the experience that he had? Well, he was raised in Israel. He was a Jew. And as Jews, they had been raised to believe that you may not have interaction with a non-Jew or a Gentile. 
Now, this is not what their scriptures taught them, but this is what they had been enculturated in. This was their life experience, and they really believed that, man, we're God's holy and special people. We're Jews. And, and what they feared was like this contamination. If we're around people who are not like us, what they called those dirty, uncircumcised Gentiles. Oh, something of them is going to rub off on us. And we don't want that. So we're not going to have anything to do with Gentiles. And so what, what we learned through history is that a good Jew, not only would they not go into a Gentile's home, they would certainly never eat with them. But then Jesus came. And he blew that out of the water. I mean, Jesus said that my gospel, my good news is for all people. And he tells his disciples, including Peter, go into all the world and make disciples. That this good news is not just for Jews, it's for everybody, including all those dirty, uncircumcised Gentiles, right? Okay. So Peter has this old life experience that says Jews and Gentiles don't mix. Jesus comes and blows that up and just says, no, it's, it's, it's because of my love for all people that I came. And you need to go out and demonstrate that and minister to all people, okay? So then we get to the book of Galatians. And in chapter two, we come across this story that is found where, where literally Paul, the apostle Paul, has to address Peter and, and like confront him and almost force, you can, all, you can see that he's like forcibly taking those, that wrong lens of his life experience off of Peter's face. Listen to this. Paul writes and he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. Do you hear that? Very wrong. He made a bad decision. Smart Christian, dumb thing. Bad decision. What he did was very wrong. Because when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. Well, of course he did. Because we're all one in Christ. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the language you speak, Jew, Gentile, male, female, we are one in Christ. So of course he ate with the Gentile believers. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid. He was afraid of criticism from these people. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. These were not people who were being led by Jesus' perspective. They were being led by tradition and their own life experience instead. Because of that, it says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See, when Peter started to get uncomfortable, he reverted back 
to what life experience had taught him. He put back on those colored lenses that he'd picked up through his Jewish upbringing. And it led to a really bad and hurtful decision. And guess what happens? He cast a wake behind him that other people were impacted by because of his decision. And so what happens? Other people start following his same bad decision. Parents, take note. When we make bad decisions, guess what happens? Mm, Those kids that we so love and by instinct want to protect, they start repeating the same bad decisions that we make. So, here's the question for us. What life experiences have you had that might have shaped your perspective? What experiences have you had that may have tinted your lenses and you haven't even been realizing how it's blocked out God's perspective and may have led to some bad decision making? What about the brokenness of your parents and you lived in the wake of some of their bad decisions and that spilled over onto you and your life experience was maybe being raised in the home of an alcoholic or someone who had totally given in to a, an addiction to porn or whatever. And that shaped your life experience. Maybe you experienced some of your own sexual brokenness. And because of that, it has colored how you view life. Maybe you've suffered some abuses, maybe some betrayals. Might that have colored how you look at life and of blocking out what God would want for you to know? Maybe your experiences at work. I've been thinking lately about our soldiers, people in the armed forces, and what their life experience has shown them that is so different than mine. Or what about our law enforcement officers and everything they've gone through, our first responders, you know, over this past year and a half. Man, those experiences, guess what? They, they add up, they, they shape how we see life. What about our nurses? What about our teachers right now in our schools? Man, they're... they're Life experiences are are shaping something, but you know what, all of us have gone through the past 18 months, no matter what our role is, whether we're working right now or not. I know as a pastor, this has impacted me and how I've been seeing things. And it's like, God, the, the lenses that I look through become so tinted that it's now blocking out your perspective. Is it blot, like what Peter experienced? Am I blocking things out of making really bad decisions? See, I believe that as we begin to recognize those, those things and begin to bring them before the Lord and say, God, would you take these lenses? Would you purify them? Would you let me see clearly? But guess what? That God will. He will honor that. God always honors our repentance. So our instincts can filter, tint what we see, block out God's perspective, our life experience. But here's the third one, and it's, it's a particular life experience that you may be surprised as a pastor that I would mention, 
Because I believe this third lens that can block us from gaining God's perspective is the lens of religion. The lens of religion. When we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, they're all about the life of Jesus. And the only people that Jesus consistently and passionately was angry with were the religious people. Those people who were so caught up with how they did all of their religious activity that it literally blocked them from seeing that God was now standing right in front of them. Couldn't see him. In fact, they were angry with Jesus because Jesus was coming and wanted to change things. And they really, really, really didn't want to change. And so Jesus, when we see him at times when he's angry and coming after people, it was because of this religious spirit. And not only did this religious spirit impact the religious leaders, they were spreading their religiosity and this negative religious spirit all over the people around them. So it had infected Israel. It had infected, it had kind of permanently put this tint on the lenses they were looking at life through that was blocking out God's perspective. Pastor, how do I know if I have one of these religious spirits? Because like, man, I, I'm here in church. Is that religious? Mm, not necessarily. It could be. I try to do the right things. Is that religious? Mm, not necessarily. It, it could become that. See, a religious spirit will always lead to condemnation. A religious spirit always beats us up for the wrong that we've done. And then it infects us in our spirit so dramatically that then we take that same religious spirit and start beating up other people and condemning them. See, it's like condemned people like to condemn other people. People who feel that they're under the condemnation of God, guess what? They start condemning others as well. Religious, a religious spirit will always lead to condemnation and it will always block the grace of God. And that's why Jesus was so angry about it. Because Jesus came to bring grace. God knows that none of us are good enough, no matter what we do in our lives, in order to earn God's favor. And so Jesus came and he went to the cross to give us a gift that we could never earn on our own. That's why it's called grace. Because you can't earn it. It's just a free gift. And Jesus knew that that religious condemning spirit was going to block people from ever being able to receive of him or his grace. Religion, some people view it as a pathway to God. I do not agree with that. I believe that religion 
is a roadblock in between us and God because religion is always man's attempt. Hear me, religion. Not our faith, not being part of a a community, a church community where we're pressing into Jesus together, but religion, that spirit, that condemning spirit of religion will always be a roadblock between us and God because it's all the man-made stuff that I'm trying to earn God's favor. Trying to get into his good graces when Jesus said, no, I, I love you. 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 Just the way you are. Now I'm gonna come alongside of you and help you to gain my perspective so that you can live that fruitful life. But I love you just the way you are right now. Because religion is made of human effort, guess what? It always stinks like human sweat and never bears that beautiful fragrance of God's love, his mercy, his grace, his rest. It just smells like sweat. In Jesus' day, there was a group of religious people called Pharisees, very religious, very condemning. And what they had done uniquely is they had taken from the, their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, they'd taken all the rules that were meant for the priests and they imposed those same rules on everyone who wasn't priests, on all the people. Now you had to do all the ceremonial things, all the special hand washings and, and purification things. They were making everyone do those things that God had said were just for the select group of his priests in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Very religious, very condemning, and it blocked their ability to see God. Except for this one guy, this one Pharisee who knew there's something different about Jesus. There was some light that penetrated beyond the tint of religion that he was looking at life through. His name was Nicodemus. So Nicodemus comes secretly to Jesus one night. And John, in the Gospel of John, he records this conversation. I want you to listen to a few, just a couple of verses from from John chapter three because I want you to see what Jesus says because I believe it has to do with the spirit of religion. John three, two and three, it says, after dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, "We, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replies with an answer to a question that Nicodemus didn't even know how to ask. (laughs) Jesus replied and he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot, what? Come on, say it. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, guess what? The filters that you have, the lenses that you are looking at life through, 
You are never going to be able to see me clearly. You are never going to be able to see my perspective. You're never going to get to see the kingdom of God, which represents, by the way, that phrase, the kingdom of God, represents all of God's perspective. That Jesus is Lord and that everything falls under his kingship. Okay? You're never going to come to that conclusion on your own, Nicodemus, because you must be born again. And this phrase that Jesus uses, being born again, it represents this great exchange of taking off the way that I have looked at life, even through the lens like Nicodemus had as a Pharisee, of coming through religion in an attempt to find God. But Jesus says, you're never going to find me that way. You must exchange that in so profoundly that everything is going to be made new. In fact, everything's going to be so new, I'm going to call it being born all over again. In me, Nicodemus, you get a fresh start. You get a new pair of glasses. They're kingdom glasses. And when you're born again, you're going to be able to see the kingdom of God for what it truly is. The great exchange, the opportunity for my deadness, being trapped in my own perspective, to new life in Jesus. And then in verse 16, it's where Jesus famously tells him, hey, Nicodemus, God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. And whoever believes in him is not even going to die, but have eternal life. But then I want you to hear what Jesus says just in the following verses. You may never have had this come to your attention before, but when it comes down to verse 19, listen to what Jesus says just a moment later. He says this. This is the verdict, Nicodemus. This is the verdict. This is the end of the story. This is the bottom line. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of the light. People love their colored lenses. They love darkness. I don't want to see all that light. Jesus, you want to expose things in my life that then you're going to want to change. And God's like, yeah, because I want you to have a fruitful life. I don't want you to be barren. I don't want you to be miserable. I don't want you to wreak havoc in your life, spread it through your family, into your church, into your community. He says, no, I want you to be fruitful. Parable of the sower. I want new life to spring up. Lives that are filled by love, by truth, by beauty, by wholeness. But people loved darkness instead of light. Whether that darkness comes through our natural instinct, whether it comes through just the brokenness of life experience, or even those who have tried to the best of their human ability to find God through religion, all of those things kind of keep blinders on us, blocking our ability to see the kingdom of God, to see God's perspective 
And it blocks us from new life in him. It blocks us from being born again. Surrendering all of these things over to the Lord and receiving the ability that he will give us by the power of his Holy Spirit to see life in new ways. And as we do that, as we receive these new lenses, as we're born again, oh man, we see our decisions in a whole new way. We come to decisions not blocking out God's perspective, but by welcoming it. I'm gonna invite our ministry team to come on up. Because here's, here's what I truly believe. I, I believe this. I believe that some of us have been wearing these tinted lenses for so long that they have become like embedded onto our eyeballs. Like think about contact lenses that then like a blowtorch was put on them, searing them to our eyes. Like I can't even, I can't even get them off anymore. I'm so led by my instincts, lust, anger, fear, my appetites. I'm just like driven by them. I don't even know how to get free. Or maybe by life experiences. It's like, Pastor Jim, you don't know how broken I've become at the hands of others. You don't know kind of the abuses that I've gone through. And then you're just like, no, I don't know. I don't know what experiences you've had, but I do know that God knows. And that his love for you is complete. It's intact. It's whole. And he wants to minister even to those darkest places, to those most broken places, to bring wholeness and restore you to a place of new life. Or maybe you're just recognizing, you know what? I've been trying to do all of this God stuff in my own power. And I think that spirit of religion, that kind of Pharisee spirit has crept over my life. So I've not only been judgy to myself, I've been judgy toward others and have not been reflecting the love or the life of Jesus. I've just been practicing a dead religion and you wanna see something rekindled, brought to new life, to be born again, all over again. And in Jesus, that's possible. So I'm gonna pray for us to conclude our time together. But friends, I think the one question that we need to just all come to right now is this, have I been born again? Have I submitted my life to the life of King Jesus? Have I exchanged my brokenness and my sin, my life, for a life in him? Do I receive of the grace, that grace gift that is only available because of what Jesus did on the cross when he paid the debt that I could never pay for myself and receive a forgiveness wholeness of life. Have I been born again? And listen, when I ask that question, you should know the answer. If I ask you right now, do you have a California driver's license? You know, yes, I do, or no, I don't. Same way, when I ask you, have you been born again? 
Have you given your life over to Jesus? Have you put your life's trust in him? He's inviting you today. If you haven't done that, if you have not been born again, would you just like raise your hand and say, I want to be born again. I wanna be born again. I want to give my life to Jesus. You may have done that before, but there's something that right now, you're saying, I need to be born again, again. I need that refreshing work, that forgiving grace. And if that's you, just put your hand up and say, that's me. Come on, man. Yes, 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 I agree, I agree. Anybody else that just says, Pastor, that's me. Yeah, bro, I agree. Anybody in the courtyard, just wave. Yeah, ma'am, I see you. Yes, yes. Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you made available to us by coming to earth the possibility to not live barren, broken lives, to have fruitful lives in you. And Jesus, it starts, it starts when we make this great exchange of our death for your life and say, Jesus, thank you that I can be born again in you. So now, Lord, I pray, Lord, for any who are here that are dealing with lenses that need correcting. And Jesus, I pray for boldness and courage for people to step forward and even receive ministry in the next moments where they would say, hey, I've been dealing with with looking at life in a way that's been blocking out God's perspective. And I just pray for release and healing right now in Jesus' name. Church, you are loved. We're gonna see you next week. Man, we got some great people who are gonna be ministering. Dennis and Debbie Jordan, who came onto staff here at Santa Maria Fort Square 14 years ago this weekend. And next week, they're gonna be ministering. I am so excited for their ministry. Do not miss it. But listen, can I tell you, don't leave here without first coming and receiving ministry. If you're in the courtyard, throw a mask on, jump in here because we wanna pray for you. And if you're online, reach out to us through our website, sm4.org. You can find us on the contact page, drop us a note and say, hey, I I need to get free in this area because we wanna partner and pray with you as well. Church, we love you. Have a beautiful week.